People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. It's time for part two of Premier League Insights for game week 31. We've got eight games to go and plenty of opportunity to find value in the betting markets. The man to help do that, as it always is, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. Long time no speak, Jake. How are you? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Just a little bit hot at the moment, given the uh, lovely weather that's, that's outside. But... You know, there's nowhere I'd rather be than discussing Premier League football with yourself. That's it. I, w- I won't keep you too long. We'll, we'll give our listeners what they want and then you can enjoy the weather. Um, but let's get straight into it. We'll, we'll go with our first game, which is Manchester United versus Sheffield United. Two teams here that, that obviously had hopes of a, a top four finish and, and that would have taken a dent over the weekend. Manchester United were the, the better of the two teams in their game against Tottenham and, and should have really done more against what is a, a poor Tottenham defence. Sheffield United, on the other hand, they've had they've had two games now since the restart, and in truth, they've, I mean, they've barely showed up in either of them. It's it's just over one xG combined across the two games against Aston Villa and Newcastle, and they were comfortably beaten by Newcastle in their most recent game. And and when you consider both Aston Villa and Newcastle are down there as the worst team teams in the league, it it shows how disappointing those two results are going to be for for Sheffield United. It's it's going to be difficult for them to get back to winning ways here. Pinnacle's got Manchester United as a short 1.404 favourite, so that's around 68% chance of the win. Sheffield United are given just a 10% chance of getting the three points at odds of 9.33. It is interesting that we've seen quite a lot of action on the under 2.5 goals here. We know Manchester United are good at the back, but Sheffield United aren't as blunt in attack as, as people think and they certainly aren't as strong as the back as at the back as the table suggests. So they haven't got Dean Henderson, Manchester United, Manchester United loney. He's probably been one of their best players this season. How does the InfoGoal model view this match? Um, yeah, we're not as confident on a home win as what the market is. Um, yeah, but we're, we're you know we're coming to the same conclusions that um, Sheffield United have been exceptionally poor since the restart. Um, alarmingly so, really, given uh, what they showcased for uh, showcase. Sorry for the most, most majority of the season, um, but yeah, Manchester United first up. They were, um, I thought, a little bit unfortunate not to come away with all three points against uh, Tottenham. They've created the better of the chances. Obviously, the penalty is is, is a big contributor to their one point seven xG total. But you know, you think the Martial got a chance that forced Lloris into a good save uh, in the second half. Obviously, Rashford had a, had a good chance in the first half that Lloris also saved. So they were the better of the two teams in terms of creating opportunities. Um, but, you know, that draw, it's not, a, it's not a bad point for them. That's one of their most difficult games out of the way for the remainder of the season. This is another one um, based on league table and NXG table. Um, and I think Leicester away is their other pretty tough game. Uh, for the remainder of the season, um, so they got that out of the way with a point. It was a you know, like you said, a, a really good, solid defensive performance. Obviously, barring the David de Gea um, mistake, but on the whole, um, very impressive. What I've seen from Manchester United from you know not only in that game but also prior to the break, uh, twelve games unbeaten in all competitions now, um, and they've conceded just three times in that time as well, um, and they've also played 
uh, teams such as uh, Wolves, Manchester City, and Chelsea uh, during that run. Uh, they scored thirty times in that in that little run as well. So they are really um, seem to be be clicking. Um, and you know, I was really impressed with the second half display, especially when you know introduced the perennial uh, talent that is Paul Pogba, who I thought was fantastic when he came on. And you know, there, there was. The commentators were going a little bit overboard with the Bruno Fernandes Paul Pogba link up, but there's promising signs there that could be a, a decent partnership. It's going to be interesting to see how they both fit into the um, into the starting lineup, and I hope that we do see them in the start, starting lineup this week um, against Sheffield United. And if that is the case, then I expect a you know really strong attacking display from United because they are two really good creators, um, and obviously they've got talented players in and around them as well with Rashford and Martial plays that they, that they can finish when they get the chance. So, yeah, really excited for for what to expect from Manchester United in this game. As for Sheffield United, it's um, you know it's not just because of my Sheffield Wednesday bias, but they've been really poor since the restart. And um, you know, obviously they, they were a little bit unfortunate against Aston Villa with the goal that got disallowed. That, oh, sorry, that it wasn't given um, when it was obviously over the line. Um, but against Newcastle, even in the first half when it was uh, goalless and um, and 11 v 11, Newcastle were by far the better team. I think uh, the Blazers just created 0.3 expected goals in that first half. So really poor uh, showing even with 11 men. And you know what makes it even worse is the fact that Aston Villa and Newcastle rank as the two worst teams in the league going to expected goals. So, you know, those two poor performances um, in attack have come against two of the worst teams in the league. Um, and, you know, against Newcastle, as soon as they went down to 10 men, Newcastle capitalised and they really did deserve um, all three points. So, yeah, a little bit worrying for, for Sheffield United, especially coming into this game. Um, as you said, they both had hopes of a top four finish. Uh, I think Sheffield United's uh, hopes have been dashed more than Manchester United's just because they had, on paper, two pretty you know, easy fixtures, if you like, playing against, like I said, two worst teams in the Premier League and, and they've come away with just a point from that so it's highly unlikely now that, that they'll be able to kick on and make the top four um, as it stands you know we, we could end up with a situation where seventh place does qualify for Europe given the Manchester City situation that's that's currently being resolved um, so you know they'll, they're still in with a chance of, of, of some European football and obviously with the, the plight of Tottenham and Arsenal, which um, obviously Arsenal will get onto later, uh, is very, it's still a you know, high possibility if they can get a few decent results from now to the end of the season. But away from home, um, although they boast one of the best records in the division, uh, Sheffield United, I think they've, they've lost just three times in 15 away games. Um, the process is really poor. So they've conceded an average of one goal per away game this season, but their expected goals against total is at 1.57. So a little bit fortunate defensively to have conceded so few um, uh, in terms of goals. And, you know, if they continue defending this, the, the same way that they have been uh, or that they showed against Newcastle anyway, uh, then they could be in for a tough afternoon here. Um Interesting to hear what you're saying about the goal line, the fact that the unders is taking quite a bit of the money. The the Infocom model thinks that overs is the play. Uh, we go 54% chance of over two and a half. Uh, the market's at 46 now. Um, yeah, and you know that, that was the same case in, in the game at Newcastle at the weekend, uh, in which obviously that did land at quite a decent price. Um, and I think that the the you know the unders is, is coming in due to the fact that Sheffield United ha- have been one of the tightest defences in the league. I think only only Liverpool have conceded fewer goals. 
But when you look at expected goals against, um, you know, Sheffield United sit down in eighth in that regard. So they've allowed 45 expected goals against, conceded just 28 goals. So there's been a, a, a real positive variance in their favour in that sense. So that's why we're looking at uh, goals in terms of uh, the overs and also both teams to score. Um, although Manchester United have been keeping clean sheets pretty regularly or prior to the break, um, their actual performances in those games they're still conceding a couple of decent chances. So there's, um, you know, there's decent opportunity for Sheffield United to get on the score sheet, although they will have to really improve uh, their attacking numbers um, and, and output from those games against Newcastle and Aston Villa. So there's a small value play on both teams to score. 52% is what we're saying, 43% on the market. Um, but I, I would say in this one, the main the main play from an infogol perspective is to get on side with over two and a half. We just mentioned Newcastle and Aston Villa and we can now move on to a game where they're actually playing each other. Um, we talked about Sheffield United being poor against Newcastle, but you do also have to give Newcastle some credit for that 3-0 win. I think it's probably as good as they've looked all season and that doesn't really take much doing given how poor they've actually been. But it is is another chance for them to to maybe put a little bit of a late season run together um, they're playing a relegation-threatened team in Aston Villa who they probably wouldn't have expected much from their two games back since the restart given the difficulty of the opponent. But I think under the, the circumstances and the, the way those games played out, they're, they're going to be disappointed. Um, the teams around them all failed to win as well. So it's they've, they've got another crack at it. That that survival bid could get a bit of a boost here. We've We've talked quite a bit about how poor Newcastle are and how deceiving that record is. But... In terms of the odds, Pinnacle gives Aston Villa a 30% chance of the win at 3.22. Newcastle are at 41% chance of victory at 2.35. And the draw is 3.38, which is just under a 30% chance. I know the, the info goal model doesn't rate Newcastle too too highly, but I don't think Villa fare much better according to the info goal numbers. So is there is there is there value in the 1x2 here perhaps or uh, the low goals total of, of 2 and 2.5 does that give you something to work with um no we we you know we we're, we're looking at the 1x2 with um you know pretty well a lot of hope really because there's a huge amount of value in back in the hosts and I never thought I'd say that this season given how poor Newcastle have been but um like you said Villa have been even worse according to the underlying numbers um yeah I think Newcastle, it, it, I don't want to speak too soon because it's only a really small sample size, but um, from what we saw in the two games prior to the break uh, and the game after, uh, one game post-break, uh, they, you know, they, they really have improved in terms of underlying uh, numbers and it's a very small sample size. But notably, there's been a switch in formation from that last defeat, which came at Crystal Palace, uh, from a, a back five to a back four. Um, and for whatever reason, that's improved both their defensive numbers and their attacking numbers. So against Burnley, they allowed fewer than uh, well, they allowed 0.7 expected goals against, created 1.4. Southampton, they created 3.1 uh, and allowed just 0.4. Uh, and against Sheffield United, they created nearly two expected goals and allowed just 0.7. So we're seeing um, you know a slight improvement, well, a massive improvement really in, in their underlying numbers. Like I said, it's a small sample size. Don't want to get too carried away, but it does seem to have coincided with a, a formation switch to perhaps a more attack-minded approach. Um, so yeah, that, that, that win against Sheffield United was a really impressive display. Um, and it was the third straight game, if you include the Southampton and the Burnley game, in which they won the XG battle. Um, and that's something that they managed to do only three times in the previous 27 league games this season. So, um, you know, it, 
it's very rare that Newcastle win the XG battle, but they've done it in three consecutive games uh, and they've done it quite convincingly um, as well, which is quite impressive and obviously a little bit out of the ordinary from what we're used to seeing. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm full of hope now uh, for Newcastle after being really down on them for the majority of the season. They look to have found a nice balance in the team. They've got, um, you know, some trickery in St. Alan St. Maximan. Joel Linton got obviously got a goal. His confidence will be up for that. He does get in good scoring uh, positions quite often. Just converting the chances being his issue. Um, and obviously, you know, in midfield you've got John Joe Shelby, who who is a really good uh, ball progressor. Uh, and the back line's been pretty decent all season. Obviously, between the sticks, Dubravka's been one of the better goalkeepers according to expected goals. So, it, you know, the, there are the makings of a decent team there. Uh, and I think that the fact that they look like they're playing more on the front foot will only help them, really. Uh, obviously, they've, they've got nothing to play for in, in the sense of um, they're not going to go down. It's highly unlikely that they're going to finish in the European spot. But if they put a run together like they currently are, uh, then, the, you know, the, Anything is possible given how poorly or how teams are struggling for results above them. So, yeah, really you know, intrigued to see what's, what happens with Newcastle um, in the next couple of games. As for Aston Villa, they were, uh, yeah, they, 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 I think the XG total slightly flatters them from the Chelsea game. Um, the XG total is 1.6 to 1.4 in Villa's favour. Quite a chunk of that came from two chances that Courtney House had before his goal. Uh, so obviously one shot got blocked before he followed it in. So they came from the same uh, action almost. So I think that flatters them slightly. And, and what is, or what we've come to see, and it's still disappointing from Villa, is just the way that they crumbled when uh, Chelsea scored the equaliser. I think it was two minutes later that that Chelsea scored again. Um, and that's just the kind of defending that we're used to seeing from Aston Villa. Uh, the, the worst defence in the league, according to expected goals, allowing 2.34 expected goals against per game. Uh, and they've also conceded the most non-penalty big chances, um, which is, in for calculates it, um, greater than a 35% chance of being scored. But they've conceded 62 of those, which is um, the worst in or the most in the, in the league. Uh, away from home, their XG numbers get even worse, allow nearly 2.6 expected goals against per game. So really fear for them in this game, especially if, if you know, if I'm right in thinking that Newcastle look to have turned a corner and playing a bit more on the front foot. So, um, yeah, huge, decent amount of value back in Newcastle to win here, which is not something you see very often uh, with the Infocore model, given how poorly they are rated. Uh, interestingly as well, the goal line is, is quite low, Um on the market, it's around a 46, 47% chance of over two and a half goals. The model goes for 60% chance of over two and a half goals. And I think that is obviously mostly down to Aston Villa's uh, defensive process, which, as I said, is nearly averaging 2.6 expected goals against uh, per away game. Uh, both teams to score is also a, a decent value play, according to um, according to the model. 61% of both teams to score, 53% chance um, on the market. So, you know, you're looking at a home win at both teams to score, maybe a 2-1 Newcastle win. But I think the main bet for me is just to get on Newcastle. Well, I think maybe it might have taken some some new prospective owners to get Steve Bruce to, to buck his ideas up and actually try and play attacking football. Um, <laughs> with Villa, I guess the question then is if let's let's play some some hypotheticals here and they they go and lose to to Newcastle. Do you think that's the, the nail in the coffin for them or is it a they might get away with it and other teams again go and lose or things like that. How how long do you reckon they can hang in this survival bid? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think looking at the games that teams around them have got, um, obviously West Ham, they could travel to Spurs. Um, Bournemouth, they 
I think they've got Wolves away, which is you know a really tough game. Uh, and obviously Villa have got this game at Newcastle. And we're not expecting West Ham to get anything against Spurs or Bournemouth uh, to get anything at Wolves. So you know if they lose this game, we're expecting the two teams directly above them to lose as well. So it won't affect them too much. But like I said, there's only so many games you can um, you can lose, especially given the fixtures that they've got coming up. Um, so after the Newcastle game, they've got Wolves at home, then Liverpool away, then Manchester United at home. So those are three games that, again, they're not going to be expected to win. So in theory, this game against Newcastle is a very winnable game uh, and it's a game that they should be looking to get the three points in. But yeah, like we said, we're not expecting them to do that um, or the next three games. So things are looking a little bit bleak for Aston Villa, uh, but they're always going to when you're conceding so many good chances on a regular basis. We've got the Wolves-Bournemouth game to come, so don't give too much away, Jake. It's not for a couple of games yet. Um, <laughs> we've got Norwich versus Everton next, and we said we did a, a podcast about kind of where the, the table was at before the, the season resumed, and before the latest round of fixtures, Norwich had the slimmest of slim chances of staying up. I mean, it was around kind of like 5% or maybe even less. That's obviously going to be even slimmer now after a, a poor performance and a poor result against Southampton. They only managed 0.87 xG and gave up 2.04. And I mean, you can't really say they deserved anything more than a than a three nil loss. Everton, meanwhile, did well to to hold Liverpool to a, a nil nil draw in their return fixture. Not quite the entertaining game that that many had hoped for, but. Everton were actually the better team in that as well. They won the XG battle 1.13 to Liverpool's 0.73. Um, in this game, I guess we're, we're probably more likely to see that that free-flowing attack that Ancelotti has switched to since he became manager. And it's, it's something that's drawn them plenty of plaudits from, from some pundits, from yourself. I think everyone's kind of on side with the way Everton play. They're going to get plenty of chances against Norwich's poor defence. The goals total here is set at the standard 2.5, but all the money from betters is for the over. As for the 1x2, Everton have shortened up a bit as well. The market currently has them at around 50% chance of win with odds of 1.934. Norwich are 4.06 or a 24% chance of victory. Short price on Everton, a relatively low goals market. Is the obvious play the away win in the overs or is there more to it than that? Yeah, we think the obvious play is is the sensible one in this game. As you said, Norwich, uh, they were pretty pathetic against Southampton. Uh, you know, I, I thought they'd be a little bit more competitive. We, we thought they would lose the game, but I thought they'd at least put up a bit of a fight. But uh, what we what we ended up seeing was just a really poor performance and the sort of performance that we've seen regularly from them. Defensively, they continue to be, uh, you know, one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they really are struggling to keep chances out. They've allowed 1.92 expected goals against per game this season. That actually increases uh, at Carrow Road to 2.02, which is a bit of a surprise. To obviously, for what reason, I'm not too sure why that is, but um, could be something to do with the fact that they play more on the front foot at home, so they'd leave themselves more exposed. So everything's pointing in in the direction of Everton, um, and it's really hard to get against them. I thought they were they were very impressive against Liverpool. They were the better of the two teams. They had the better openings, the better chances. Um, and what was more impressive was the fact that they managed to limit Liverpool, a team that's averaging over two expected goals per game, to just 0.73. So a positive game on the on the restart for Everton. Um, obviously, we, we, you mentioned there, prior to that game, Everton had been one of the best attacking teams in the league um, since Ancelotti's appointment. 
They've actually been the fifth best team in the league overall, according to expected goals. And the process in that time has been 2.08 expected goals for and 1.29 expected goals against per game. Now, that is a process of a team that we would expect to be uh, in and around the top four. So whatever Ancelotti's done since the since his arrival has been nothing short of, of brilliant, really. Um, he's got the team playing in a really expansive and attack-minded manner, made them really good to watch, uh, fun, fun team to watch. Um, and I think that they're going to win this game comfortably. 1x2, uh, you said 50% chance of an, of an away win. Muller goes 58%, so there's a decent amount of value there in getting onside with Everton to win the game. Um, and obviously, the goal line itself is also... We 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 you know we're on the we're on the overs fifty eight percent chance of over two and a half markets around fifty four percent so um, decent value in there both teams to score is pretty much in line so we're looking at an away win and, and over two and a half goals but for me the main play is just to get on side with Everton uh, given that Southampton went to Norwich and, and hammered them uh, Everton are a much better team than what's than Southampton so uh, you know by that very simple logic it should be a very simple away win for an Everton team that really are one of the stronger attacking teams in the league we hinted at it earlier so now we'll get on to to Wolves versus Bournemouth and I think there's a lot of neutrals out there who, who probably find themselves rooting for Wolves still only their their second season back in the Premier League but they've, they've been incredibly consistent they seem really well balanced they're just unless you're a West Ham fan at the weekend, a joy to watch when you see them play. Um, I think that was a, I mean, the, the game at the weekend, they obviously had to work a bit against West Ham. Their class showed through in the end. Adama, Adama Traore made a real impact after coming on. As for Bournemouth, they've been pretty consistent as well for a while now. Unfortunately for them, it's just they've been consistently bad. Um, struggled to to kind of settle on that identity or the, the style of play for a lot of the season. And, They've really paid the price for that. I think it was a a poor result, a, a, a really poor performance for them against Crystal Palace, especially when you consider the teams around them didn't manage to win. I think any team that's putting up 0.55 expected goals at home to to Crystal Palace in what was pretty much a, a must-win game, they, they can't really have many complaints if they end up going down after performances like that. Um, Pinnacle, as as you'd expect, uh, are pretty short on Wolves here. They they have a 62% chance of getting three points accord, with odds of 1.588. Bournemouth given just 12, 15% chance of the win with odds of 6.27. It's another one where the market isn't anticipating too much of a, an entertaining game and perhaps a, another controlled, straightforward win for Wolves because the goals mark is set at 2 and 2.5 and, and betters are, are fairly evenly split on that. I like Wolves, you like Wolves, Infogol likes Wolves. They're, they're a short price, but but should they be even shorter? Yes, yeah, we think they should be much shorter. Uh, we give them a 70% chance of, of getting the win compared to what you said, 62% on the market. So, yeah, Wolves are, are the play in this one, um, and it's not really hard to see why. They were very impressive uh, against West Ham, especially in the second half. Obviously, they, they created enough chances to deserve to win the game. But what was more impressive was just how solid they are, uh, or they were defensively, and how, how solid they have been all season long. Um, you know, they, they they sit fourth in our expected goals table, so it isn't a surprise to see them a, a, in the hunt for a European spot again. Um, and you know, they've sit fourth in that XG table, and that's despite European. Uh, commitments throughout the most majority of the season uh, and the harsh schedule so that feat is made even more impressive when you look at how difficult they've had it this season I think they started their campaign in late July so 
they've had a really long season already. Uh, they've been playing for nearly, a, or they've been playing this season, 1920, for nearly uh, 360 days. So uh, it's been a long one for Wolves, but you know they're rightly up and up there um, in contention for finishing the Champions League spots, uh, at the very least, a Europa League spot. They've averaged 1.7 expected goals for per game, uh, 1.15 expected goals against per game. So they really are um, a solid defensive unit. And that's shown when looking at the uh, number of non-penalty big chances that's been conceded this season. So uh, Wolves are actually the best uh, team in terms of conceding the fewest non-penalty big chances. They've allowed just 24 um, chances of 35% or greater um, in the 30 Premier League games that they've played, which is quite astonishing. Um, and that's one of the main reasons why Infigols likes them so much. Uh, as for Bournemouth, uh, it's really hard to like them, um, really. I thought they were really poor against Crystal Palace. Um, a very tame display. Uh, obviously, saw the lineup. It's pretty attacking 4 4 2. Josh King, Callum Wilson, David Brooks in there. Um, but they just really just didn't create anything. Um, obviously, Game effects probably counting into that a little bit. Palace went uh, up 2-0 early and the onus was on Bournemouth to break them down and, and they just they just didn't look like doing that, um, even if they were still playing now. Uh, that, that means that Eddie Howe's side have picked up just 11 points from the last 19 Premier League games. Uh, and their XG process does reflect that, really, averaging just 1.17 expected goals for, 1.93 against. But for me, the most worrying thing for Bournemouth, uh, it comes in attack. So ever since they were promoted to the Premier League, they've they, you know, they've been renowned as a vulnerable defensive team uh, due to the gunko nature of the football, uh, but that was counterbalanced in the you know the first four, three or four seasons by their attack being quite potent. And what we've seen this season has been a vulnerable defence but a non-existent attack, and that's the difference um, season on season, and that's why they're in such a perilous position. Uh, you know, taking all that into account, that's why we, we think they're going to be find it really difficult to break Wolves down in this game. Um, Wolves are superior in pretty much every metric. Um, unsurprisingly, like I've said already, the price of Wolves to win, it, it you know, it's huge value in just backing them, even though it's a short price. But if you're wanting a little bit of a bigger price, um, I looked a little bit deeper into the Asian handicap market, um, and you can back Wolves minus one and a half at around I think about two point seven, two point seven five. Uh, which is about 36% chance. And, and the model calculates that Wolves will, would cover that minus one and a half handicap 48% of the time. So just around very close to even money, the, um, uh, according to the model. So that's, you know, if, if, you, if that's a bit too short for you back in Wolves, just straight up in the 1x2, then the minus one and a half um, is also a, a really solid value play. You mentioned the goal line being quite low. Um, again, the Infigol model is looking at overs rather than unders. We're quite high on this one, 64% chance of over two and a half goals. And again, that's that's going to be mostly down to Bournemouth's um, pretty shoddy defence. Um, and both teams to score were much less likely um, compared to other matches. Uh, 53% chance of both teams to score. So although that doesn't, you know, the value is in both teams to score, I personally would swerve that one. Maybe look at a Wolves win to nil, um, or like I said, minus one and a half on the Asian handicap, which is um, you know a pretty decent value bet. And we've we've mentioned a few teams now that are in danger of of going down. I'd be I'd be interested to know from your perspective if we split them out. So Norwich, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, uh, West Ham, Watford. I think Brighton are probably out of this question, given I know how you feel about them. But outside of the, we can say who deserves to go down based on. Um, 
underlying performance we can say who deserves to go down over the the period of a season and and how long that is but from your perspective who out of those teams do you think deserves to go down based on kind of how they've played what you've seen from them throughout the season without kind of just looking at the the pure numbers who do you who would you pick as your three to go down um well i think norwich um they're it's only six points at the minute, so you can't really say that they're certainly down. But I think that they're one of the teams that will end up going down. They've shown a bit of naivety, really, in their approach, especially defensively. I think Aston Villa will end up going down. I just think that they're, while they are can be exciting going forward, there just doesn't seem to be any balance in the team whatsoever. And they are extremely vulnerable at the back. Uh, worryingly so, um, especially given the amount of money that they spent. Um, I think that's probably one of the other reasons why they deserve to go down. They've spent so much money, but um, don't seem to have reaped any rewards on that. Um, and, you know, then it's between, for me anyway, it's between West Ham and Bournemouth. I think Watford have, I've been really impressed with them under Nigel Pearson. Um, they've been really exciting to watch since he's come in. Um, but yeah, Bournemouth and West Ham, it's really a toss up. Um, I think they've been as bad as each other. Uh, I think West Ham have the potential next season, given the players that they have, to to you know to perhaps improve on the, this sort of um, display this season. Because I do rate some of the players in the squad. I like Sebastian Haller, uh, Felipe Anderson. If, if if these guys stick around, Pablo Fornals, I think, is a really good footballer, not being uh, shown to the best effect this this season. Um, and yeah, I think Bournemouth's times probably come. They flirted with relegation for. A couple of seasons before putting going on a mini run and, and, and getting themselves clear, but for whatever reason, um, they, they've not been able to do that this season. They've not created the chances at, at the same rate as what they have done ever since they got promoted. Um, and yeah, it's bizarre, really, because they you know, Bournemouth at the start of the season to say that they would get relegated was um highly unlikely, really, uh, just purely because they create so many chances. but for whatever reason, that just hasn't happened. I don't know whether they've been found out, the systems have been found out. Um, but, you know, the, the players are still the same as what was there last year. They're just not um, creating at the same rate, which, yeah, it, it, it's worrying for, for them. Uh, obviously, there's financial implications for Bournemouth as well. If they do go down, I think they're already a club in massive debt. Uh, and in the current climate, if they do get relegated, it could be pretty serious and they might have to have a fire sale. But, uh, I'm not going to say who deserves to go down, but I think that Bournemouth will probably end up uh, being the team that does drop into into the Championship. I think West Ham will just have enough to get out of it. And, you know, you look at strength of schedule when you're talking about that as well. And Bournemouth have the toughest run of fixtures from now to the end of the season of any team in the Premier League. So if they do stay up, then they deserve to stay up, um, having, you know, like I said, the toughest schedule. But West Ham have a much easier schedule um, and I think that they will end up prevailing. But like I said, personally, it's a toss-up between West Ham and Bournemouth as to who fills that, that third and final spot. Right, well, let's get on to Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. The The wait for the Premier League title still goes on for Liverpool. It's not going to be much longer, but they they looked a little bit rusty on their return to action. And, and in truth, it, it hadn't really been great across all competitions before everything was postponed anyway. I think you highlighted that poor run over kind of five, six games Champions League, Cup and League. Um, Crystal Palace, we just mentioned, they got past a very poor Bournemouth side and, and we've talked about that that 2-0 and it's 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 
probably been a reflection of their season, I think. They they deserve to win. They weren't the worst team in the game, but they've just been they've often been flattered by results or score lines. They're they're comfortably in mid table, but they could easily be in a relegation dogfight if things hadn't gone their way as much as they have. Um as for the odds, Liverpool are the they're the shortest favourite on the board at Pinnacle for, for game week thirty one. They're currently one point two four eight, which equates to nearly eighty percent chance of a win. Palace are given a measly seven percent chance with their odds of thirteen point nine four. Goals mark again, probably not as high as people might have thought, two point five and three, split fifty fifty. That's it's it's quite surprising given how clinical Liverpool have been over the the season as a whole. But what are your thoughts on this game? Um, yeah, it's a, this is a tricky one, really. Um, in terms of value, we found bits, but uh, in a one x two market, it's priced up about right. We're a little bit, um, we're not as confident on, on Liverpool win. Market's around seventy seven percent. We're at seventy four percent. Still, very high chance of a home win uh, for obvious reasons. But um, you know, we found value elsewhere. Liverpool, I thought, were really disappointed in, in the Merseyside derby. I was expecting much more from them. Um, you know, they've got nothing to play for really the title's already done it's just a matter of when and not if um so i thought they'd have a little go at everton and try and get a win at goodison it wasn't to be the case uh, they were held at bay pretty well by everton just 0.73 expected goals which was you know it's one of their worst attacking displays of the season so far um so yeah like like you said before the break i pointed out that the um they had struggled in attack as well you know, across different competitions, uh, admittedly, but you know, against Watford, they managed just the 0.3 expected goals. Um, obviously, it drew a blank against Chelsea in the FA Cup, drew a blank in in Madrid in the Champions League. Um, so there, there was there are signs that their process is, is perhaps dipped and the performance levels have dipped. Uh, but you know, they'll be they'll be looking to keep maintain their 100% record at home this season. They've won 15 out of 15 at Anfield. Uh, the process in front uh, at Anfield is, is 2.34 expected goals for and 0.99 again. So pr- mightily impressive. Um, I think it's the second best or third best home process in the league. Um, so, you know, they'll they'll probably get the win, but I don't think it'll be a, a convincing um, a convincing result. Crystal Palace, uh, four wins in a row for them. Um, four clean sheets as well. So I think that, that little mini run has lifted them up above Arsenal and into ninth uh, level on points with Tottenham uh, and just four points behind Manchester United in fifth. So Crystal Palace fans are dreaming of, of a Europa or a Champions League adventure if you want to push it. <laughs> but uh, like you said, they're, they're, that position does flatter them uh, greatly. 15th in our expected goals table. Uh, they've had a massive overperformance in defence. Uh, Vicente Guaita has been fantastic and, and kept out more goals than he should have. 32 goals conceded for Palace, uh, nearly 50 expected goals. So there's a huge overperformance there. And, and, you know, the the game against Bournemouth at the weekend sort of epitomised what you see from Palace. Um, A really low probability goal from a a Milivojevic free kick that put them in front. And then, um, you know, Palace have got Bournemouth exactly where they want them, which is um, Bournemouth coming on to them, Palace playing with their, their deep back line and, and, and tight, narrow fullbacks, uh, happy to defend and then counter attack. And the, you know, the, the second goal was the nail in the coffin, really. As soon as it went 2 0, that was game over. Um, and defensively, they were excellent from then on in. That happened uh, against Watford as well um, and against Newcastle. So this is you know, something that we're used to seeing with uh, Crystal Palace. But Impressively, that was the third game in, in the last four where they'd conceded fewer than one expected goal. 
Um, and although we don't expect that to happen here, uh, we do think that they will cause issues on the counterattack. Um, you know, we, we talk about it quite often. Um, Zahar, Townsend, uh, Ayu was really good at the weekend. I thought Benteke had a really solid game as well. He'll be returning to Anfield. So we fancy Palace to get on the score sheet. Um, both teams to score. The model's at, at 47%, and market's at 43%. So there's value in getting on side with both teams to score. Um, but over two and a half is, is a, probably a safer play given um, given that we're expected a Liverpool win. 61% chance of the overs landing 56 on the market. Um, so yeah, goals is, is where we're looking rather than a 1x2. And um, yeah, a high scoring game with, I, I do quite like uh, Palace to get on the score sheet in this. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think we were not that long ago. We were talking about the the potential for for Palace to maybe be in the the relegation dogfight, and here they are find themselves climbing the table. Um, you mentioned if not when there for for Liverpool and when that title comes. Have you got any thoughts on on when that game might be and and how soon they'll be crowned champions? Um, it, obviously, it's dependent on Manchester City as well. The City themselves have a a tough game against. Chelsea, uh, which we'll get on to a little bit later. But um, yeah, Liverpool, uh, they've got to beat Crystal Palace. Um, and then I think the next game um, in the Premier League is, is actually at Manchester City. So I think that's the 2nd of July. Uh, so yeah, it's um, that's probably the game you're looking at, um, that they're going to clinch it. If everything, you know, if Liverpool win, Manchester City win, then, um, you know, I think a draw at City would would give them the title if not then it would be the, the the home game against Aston Villa so but uh, we with the most likely uh, Mark Taylor ran a few simulations of this and he found that the most likely uh, day in which Liverpool would win the title is is at Manchester City with a 32% chance that they would win the title um, on that day so yeah that that's probably where they're looking and you know it's a, it's a pretty good place for Liverpool to go and win it really given the fact that they're beating their um you know rivals for the last two seasons beating them comfortably um uh, to the to a Premier League title in their own backyard right now we've got Burnley versus Watford and I think this this one's really interesting it, it, it won't jump out to to most people as the the game of the week but it's a it's an intriguing one to look at from a betting perspective I think um, Watford obviously need to get some results if they're to keep clear of, of relegation and it's another good opportunity for them to to make that push for safety they are actually a better team than Burnley based on expected goals there's there's four places and 11 points between them in the table which which probably doesn't add up if you're looking at underlying performance um Burnley have had a, a few patches this season where they've they've been up and down they've had a real kind of struggle over four or five game periods that they're, they're now coming off the back of a, a five nil thrashing at the hands of Man City Sean Dice the type of manager he is he's going to want to sort them out and get them back on track even though there isn't really much to play for um Despite what those expected goals numbers say, people people will still be shocked to see Watford as away favourites for this. I think it it is pretty close. Burnley thirty one percent chance of victory. Watford thirty nine, and the draw is at thirty percent. So people are saying home advantage isn't what it was. Burnley have struggled a bit, but but should Watford be the favourites here, Jake? Do you think? And and if if you agree, potentially maybe explain to our listeners why they are the favourites. Uh, no, no we, I, don't, I don't think they deserve to be favourites at all. Um, I think there's been a massive overreaction. Um, a couple of reasons why that has been. I, I think, obviously, the, the game against Manchester City on Monday night at Burnley's was 
you know, really, really poor display. They managed just the one shot, did Burnley. Um, but I think it's all the stuff in the background um, in terms of player contracts and those sorts of things as to why Watford are, are the favourites in this. So I think it was Aaron Lennon, um, James Tarkovsky, I think Ashley Barnes and Wood were injured. But there's three or four players um, from Burnley's first team. Phil Bards is the other one, I think, who are um, currently trying to negotiate contracts um, to play the remainder of the Premier League season, which obviously is going to be another um, month max, maybe. Um, and none of those players were involved on on Monday night. So um, that left Burnley exceptionally short on the bench, uh, obviously in, the, in this post-break world where we, we're using five subs per game. That obviously leaves them as a, a massive disadvantage, um, given the fact that they're, you know, the players that they're bringing off the bench aren't as good as the players as the, they would have had available um, in normal circumstances. So I think that's why the price is short for Watford. Um, obviously, you know, you're right to point out that the XG processes of Watford and, uh, is much better than what Burnley have, have been putting up. But um, yeah, I, I'm not having Watford as, as favourites away from home, um, especially at Burnley. We've discussed it many times, uh, the home field advantage and, and, you know, a lot of people saying it's gone. It hasn't. It's still there. Um, you know, there's still factors at, at play for home advantage, such as travel, which is obviously going to be key in this game with Watford coming up from London, um, familiarity with surroundings um, and testosterone of defending your own patch. So all of those are still, um, you know, at large and, and, and really crucial um, for pricing these games up. Uh, and also just looking at Burnley's recent home games, obviously this is pre-break, but yeah, they, they played Arsenal, drew 0-0, um, created 2.26 expected goals. They played Bournemouth, won 3-0, created 3.27 expected goals. Um, and they create, played Tottenham and created over 3.7 expected goals in a 1-1 draw. So at home, exceptionally potent. Um, obviously, they had at least um, at least uh, Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes fit one of them for, for those games. And I think if, if one of them is fit for this game, then I think you'll see Burnley's price shorten. Um, up to the point where they probably would nudge ahead favourites. But even so, um, I think the team that, that Burnley put out against Manchester City is, is good enough to get a result against this Watford team. Um, as I've said, the home process of Burnley has been pretty impressive all season long. 1.75 expected goals for, uh, 1.4 expected goals against. So really are a solid home team. Um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't at least, at the very least, be favourites for this game. Um, you know, I think if the if the market was flipped and it was Burnley with a 39% chance of winning, Watford with a 31% chance, then I'd probably be able to accept that. But um, given the fact that it's Watford that are, that the favourites, that's a, a huge surprise because I think I probably I'm probably a little bit wrong in this, um, but I think that Arsenal went off um, at, at a similar price to what Bur- what Watford are um, in their game against Burnley. Um, and you know, I think Spurs did as well uh, around the the two point five price uh, that Watford are currently currently at. So, and Watford aren't, aren't at that level of team. I know that Watford, uh, that Arsenal, and Tottenham are having issues, but um, you know, Watford aren't that good. Um, they're not on the same level in terms of the quality of players that they have at their disposal either. So, really interesting stuff. That um, that, that like you said, it's an interesting game just purely because of the the betting and, and the markets. Uh, Watford, you know, they they were pretty impressive against Leicester. Um, they deserved the point. Obviously, Craig Dawson's acrobatics gave them um, a one-one draw. Thoroughly deserved a point, but most of their their good work this season has come at home. So it wasn't a surprise to see them um, get something against Leicester away from home. It's been um, you know a real struggle for them, even under Nigel Pearson. 
They've picked up just 10 points from 15 away games, uh, two wins in that time. So they have found um, life away from Vicarage Road really difficult, and that's shown in the process. So they're they're averaging less than one expected goal per game away from home, uh, allowing nearly 1.8 expected goals against. Um, so, you know, they really aren't a very good travelling team. If this game was at um, at Vicarage Road, then I would expect Watford to be pretty strong favourites around maybe 40, 42%, 43% of winning. But away at, uh, at Turf Moor, there's no way I can get on board with Watford at 39. And in fact, um, you know, given the price at Burnley, um, I think there's, you know, there's a huge deal of value in getting on side with them, even though they, are, they have um, a few issues in terms of personnel. The model gives them a 49% chance of winning. Um, obviously, what well, everything that we spoke about in terms of the personnel issues, I would probably reduce that slightly to maybe 45, 44, because like I said, the first team that they put out the other day against Man City, I think it would be good enough to give Watford a game. Um, so yeah, huge value in getting on side with Burnley. Um, goals also, I'm surprised the goal line's quite low. Watford them uh, quite an attacking team. They'll they'll open up and have uh, have a go. I expect Burnley to do something similar. Uh, they're not really playing for anything either, um, other than pride. Overs we're at fifty nine percent. The market's at forty four. So you know, decent amount of value there. And it's the same with both teams to score. So um, expecting a, a pretty entertaining game. It won't be as one sided obviously as the as the game against Manchester City. Um, and you know, I think there's every every chance that even a depleted Burnley team could spring an upset here. What what would be an upset given the, the prices that are that are available? Right, now we've got Southampton versus Arsenal and two very contrasting results and performances from these two teams at the weekend. Southampton marked their return to to the Premier League action with an easy win over Norwich, while Arsenal started pretty much where they left off with a a 2-0 loss to Brighton. There is a a massive swing with these two teams in terms of where their performances suggest they they should be in the league. Southampton are about six places worse off in in 14th when they've been around the eighth best team in the league according to expected goals. Arsenal, meanwhile, should be even lower than their position of 10th. They deserve to be around 13th based on expected goals. I'm I'm not sure what more can be said about Arsenal in terms of how poor they've been. I looking at this personally, I can't believe how close they are in terms of price to Southampton. They're both pretty much bang on around a 35, 36% chance of a win. The draw is just under 30%. Surprise me, Jake. Where where do you think the value is in this game? Uh, the value is most certainly with Southampton. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, uh, the market's got this as a dead heat pretty much. Um, a a pick'em game, which I'm hugely surprised about. Um, I think Arsenal went off at around 2.5 against Brighton at the weekend. Obviously, we, we rate Southampton higher than Brighton. Um, uh, oh, sorry, better than Brighton on expected goals. So, you know, it's, it's massively surprising that, that it's only gone up uh, to 2.7. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm slightly surprised that Southampton haven't come into favourites. I'm sure they will as, as the build-up to the game kicks in. Um, yeah, Southampton were really impressive against Norwich. I think it was... It, 2.04 expected goals for, uh, 0.87 against. I think one of the main things that people will be pointing at when making a case for Arsenal in this game is that Southampton have been the worst home team in the league, uh, picking up just 14 points from 15 games, four wins at St Mary's, uh, nine defeats. And obviously, remember the, the, the drubbing that Leicester gave them. But, you know, that 16 goals scored, 13-1 against... Minus 15 goal difference. Um, according to expected goals, their, their XGD should be around minus 4.2. Um, and I think that that's probably the difference uh, of expected goals in, in, in that Leicester-Southampton game alone. So if you take that away, 
um, you know, that then all of a sudden they're performing like a pretty decent home team. Um, they were a very potent side, and I'm not reading too much into the fact that, that they haven't picked up the results. Because if you look at their actual goals scored per game at home, which is 1.07, uh, and their expected goals scored per game, which is 1.45, then you'll see that they've been creating the chances but not taking them at, at the same rate as what they have done away from home, uh, which has been obviously the main source of points. That applies to them defensively as well. Uh, they've conceded over two x two gate two two goals per game at St Mary's, but they're they're allowed just one point six expected goals against per game. So um, basically, they've been really unfortunate at home. The performances haven't been bad. They've just uh, not got the results that they've deserved. Uh, obviously, went to Southampton earlier in the season, picked up a deserved two two draw, um, and you know that I think they beat South beat Arsenal here last season as well. 3-2. So they've got fond memories of playing against Arsenal and uh, I think pretty much everyone has in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, that, I, I'm, I'm quite confident that, that Southampton will be able to get a result in this one. Uh, they, they destroyed Norwich um, in what was a very organised and clinical display. Um, as for Arsenal, I think it's fair to say that that eight-game unbeaten run that they were bragging about has been um, swiftly brushed aside. Um, obviously, a defeat away at Man City was expected. The manner of it wasn't. Uh, just how poor they were. Um, and, you know, we obviously expected the defeat at the Brighton, but many people didn't. Um, and to be fair, I, I, I saw the team sheet and uh, on Infogol, we had it lined up as a 4-4-2 um, with Lacazette and Aubameyang up front. And, and I actually thought that, that that could potentially be a bit of a problem for the for the Brighton bet. But as it turned out, he decided to play a 4-3-3 with his best striker out on the wide left position, which uh, it just baffles me. Um, so, yeah, that, you know... It, at the end, once I saw the fact that they were lined up as a 4-3-3, um, I, I was quietly confident that Brighton could get something. Um, and, you know, it, it, according to expected goals, he probably didn't deserve to win the game. But um, it just that soft underbelly that we've seen from Arsenal um, just continues cropping up um, pretty much every game. So, obviously, they switched off for a set piece. Um, and then, obviously, I think it was at the 93rd, 94th minute that Morpai scored in. Uh, and they just fell asleep. It was good movement. It was a good. Uh, it was a good goal. Um, but again, it just shows you their naivety in, in defence, and obviously the holding midfielders weren't really there to help for that game. Uh, that goal. So there's a lot to work on. And, and as I've said uh, over the last couple of podcasts, um, you know the process under Mikel Arteta hasn't improved at all from from what they were showing again under Unai Emery. Uh, they're creating just 1.3 expected goals for per game uh, under the Spaniard and um, 1.8 expected goals against per game. So they're actually getting worse uh, according to XG process. Um, and in terms of, a, um, obviously we spoke about Southampton at home having picked up a, you know, a limited amount of points. Arsenal away from home have picked up less than a point a game. Um, 14 points in 15 away games. They've won just twice on the road. Eight draws in that time, and their expected goal difference is minus three point seven. So they're they're a poor wayside. You've got a poor wayside playing a um, a poor home side on paper. Uh, the difference is that the poor home side on paper actually aren't a poor home side when you delve a little bit deeper. But the poor away side are a poor away side. One point two four expected goals for per game. One point five four um, against over the course of the season, um, and. Yeah, that that's you know I think I've pretty much summed it up as to why we we can't have our or we're not on side with Arsenal in this game, even at the prices. Uh, we're, we're a 48% chance of a Southampton win. We, we've we, you know, put them nearly uh, even money favourites uh, on the model. Market, like I said, around 35% a pick'em. So huge value in getting on side with the Saints. Uh, we also think there's going to be goals, overs, 62% on the market. 
52% um, on uh, sorry on the 62% on the model, 52 on the market. Both teams scores the same, 62% uh, on the model, 59 on the market. So a high scoring um, home win is where we're looking. Um, and yeah, Arsenal 20% clean sheet rate away from home this season. Um, Southampton 13% clean sheet rate at home. So both teams should get on the score sheet. And you know, I won't be surprised to see another 2-1 home win um, for well, a new 2-1 away defeat for Arsenal, should I say. Right now we've got Chelsea versus Manchester City, our, our last game for game week 31. I, I don't think it gets much better than a, a 3-0 and a 5-0 win on your return to Premier League action. The only downside for Manchester City is that it's it's all a little bit too little, too late. This match is 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 going to be another step up in terms of a challenge for them, though. I think Chelsea are the the best team in the league outside of Manchester City and Liverpool. They they thoroughly deserve to get one of those top four spots that they they currently hold on to. Um, wasn't the the strongest of returns for for Frank Lampard's side? They they edged past Villa two one. They. I think you said it earlier, they only managed 1.4 XG to Villa's 1.62, but but anyone that watched the game knows that, that Chelsea were, were pretty much in control of that and it was only a couple of, of chances for Villa that, that bumped those figures. Betters are pushing Manchester City's price down. They are 1.833 on the road, so, so over a 50% chance of the win. Chelsea and the draw are pretty much the same price and given around 24% each. Um, betters are also buying into the over 2.5 at three of pinnacles so one where we could see plenty of goals what are your thoughts for this one Jake? Yeah I'm intrigued for this game um, Chelsea are, are a team that we've been championing all season obviously according to expected goals they rightly sit in the top four even though they had their little wobble um, and they're, you know, they're obviously a really interesting team based on their, their home performances as well um, so it's, a, it's an inter- interesting game Um I don't think anyone wants to play Manchester City at the moment. The way they've restarted, they've been excellent. Uh, but yeah, we'll start with Chelsea. We, I thought they were a little bit, they're a little bit passive for most of the game against Aston Villa. Um, obviously, at halftime, the pundits in the studio were talking at how how what they dominated the game, and you know they had dominated the possession. But in terms of creating the chances, they hadn't really created anything of note in that first half. And it was only when Lampard introduced his subs and brought on. Um, an out-and-out out left winger, uh, Christian Pulisic, who obviously got the first goal, um, who you know got himself in a position that Loftus Cheek, who was playing on the left wing, wouldn't have got himself in, um, just because you know Pulisic is an out-and-out out winger. He's coming in from the left wing angle as, as opposed to a, an inside forward angle. Um, and I thought Ross Barkley had a real impact in the game as well. Um, lively, his passing and and the runs that he makes off the ball that sometimes go a little bit under the radar. So it wasn't until the subs were were made that um, that Chelsea really put uh, stamped their authority on the game, and in the end, it was, in my opinion, anyway, a, a pretty well deserved win against an albeit poor Aston Villa side. Um, I mentioned just before start, started talking about Chelsea's um, home process and home results. They've picked up only twenty four points in fifteen home games this season, uh, scored twenty two times, uh, and, and allowed fifteen goals. And if you look at their expected goals numbers at Stamford Bridge, uh, the goal difference is plus seven. Their expected goal difference is plus 22.9. So they've had a real underperformance in terms of uh, results at, at home. 36.8 expected goals for per game, which is nearly 15 fewer than what they've actually scored. So they're creating plenty of chances, just not converting them. Um, and, you know, this is a really good test for them. Obviously, they had that massive win uh, at home prior to the break. 
they obviously beat, I think it was beat Tottenham 2-1 and then uh, Liverpool in, in the FA Cup uh, and then obviously thumped Everton 4-0 and that, that's no mean feat given the way that Everton were playing. So, you know, the signs were that the results were taking a, a turn for the better or at least regressing, regressing to a level that we would expect to see from them at, at home. But yeah, overall, their performances at home have been excellent. 2.3 expected goals for per game, 0.9 expected goals against per game. They actually rank as the second best home team in the league according to expected goals process. So a really interesting, um, uh, or a really strong home team playing against arguably the strongest team in, in the Premier League in Man City. Um, they've been pretty much flawless since the restart. They're yet to concede a shot on target in two games since the break. Um, I think that the XG aggregate from the games against Arsenal and Burnley is 5.5 to 0.3. So they've been pretty much sensational. Uh, they haven't put a foot wrong. Um, and, you know, it is extremely demoralising to all the teams, really, when um, obviously these five sub rule. You're already getting beat comfortably, and then you see players like Leroy Sane and Kevin De Bruyne and Amerit Laporte warming up, um, just to name a few. Yeah, it knocks you back a little bit. Um, this is obviously going to be a much bigger test. Arsenal, Burnley both rank as bottom half teams according to expected goals. Chelsea rank as the third best team in the league, so it's going to be a much tougher test. Um, but from what we've seen um, recently from Manchester City, it's really hard to get uh, back against them. Uh, I think the price is. Yeah, it's pretty fair. Um, their away process is, is excellent, as you would expect. 2.53 expected goals for, 1.21 against. Um, but in terms of the uh, the value in this game, we're actually finding value in, in opposing Man City. We, we've got City at 47% chance of a win. So uh, odds against, the market's got them at odds on. So whether that be a lay of Manchester City at the prices or getting on side with Chelsea or the draw double chance. Um, that, that That's the value play from the 1x2 um, uh, market. I personally would wait for team news on that. Um, I think if Lampard plays a similar team to what he started with at Aston Villa, then I think it'd be a difficult afternoon. I think uh, if they want to get anything from the game, they're going to have to try and attack Manchester City um, and uh, try and exploit the gaps that are left there from uh, the attacking fullbacks that also have the capabilities to go narrow. Um, in terms of goals, you said that the overs has taken uh, most of the money. We actually disagree with that. We think that the unders could perhaps be um, a, a play. 55% chance of over two and a half mark on, uh, on the model. Markets at 58%, so small value in opposing the overs. And that goes for both teams to score as well. But, you know, we're 57% chance of both teams to score. So hard to really... Um, to commit to a, a backing against both teams to score, um, when you, especially when you have two really strong attacking teams. But yeah, the main value play in the one is coming in the one x two market in getting Chelsea on side really in, in whatever way you can. Uh, like I said, they've been the second best home team in the league. Uh, the first, the best home team according to expected goals is Manchester City. So Chelsea have been better at home uh, according to xG than Liverpool. Um, so yeah, they're going to give them a, a real test. Um, obviously, they could do Liverpool a favour if they get a result here in terms of Liverpool winning the title. But um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a really entertaining game to watch. But I'd save most of your money until the uh, team news is, is announced. Yeah, it should be should be the game of the weekend, and it's it's a nice way to end the the podcast for game week thirty one. The the fun doesn't stop, Jake. We just got to wait for the action to unfold now, and we'll be back again to do it all again on the, for for game week thirty two. Thanks for the the time, as always. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. And thanks to everyone for listening. Remember to head over to infogold.net, follow at Infogold app on Twitter, and download the app on iOS and Android to get more help with your Premier League predictions. All of the odds for the upcoming matches are now on pinnacle.com. 
Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.